Welcome to The Reality Revolution. I am your host, Brian Scott. Today I found another glorious Neville Goddard lecture. This one, We Are the Gods Who Came Down, delivered on February 14th, 1969. What seems to be a great year with a lot of lectures that we had not heard about until now. This one is just so powerful line by line, so much. It really gets you into that God mind that Neville Goddard can create through his lectures. Because we are the gods who came down by Neville Goddard. We are told that God became man, that man may become God. And you may think that you are the man and God is the other that became you. Tonight, I would have you reverse that. You are the God that became man, that man may become you. If I understand scripture correctly, if my visions which parallel scripture are accurate, and I know they are, I tell you that what I just told you is true. Then we are told in the 82nd Psalm that we shall die like men. I say that you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall as one man, O princes, verses 1 through 6. So we were the gods who became men, that men may become as we are. So here we find ourselves today in the world of men. Now we are told the day will come that we will tell posterity. Posterity will serve us and tell of the Lord who wrought it, who actually brought about the deliverance of man. So you and I actually became humanity, that humanity may become as we are. This I do know from my own personal mystical experience. So reverse it. Don't think that you are some little worm and then God became as you are that you may be as he is. You were God and therefore you are God. You became man that man may become you and that you is God. So take the whole thing and reverse it and then you'll have an entirely different feeling about it. I know from my own experience I can't bring out the details But I do know that my visions are true. They parallel scripture. There are certain passages you wonder, what on earth does it mean? I know in the end the whole thing will be revealed, for I made everything because I loved it. When I say I, I mean we. We made everything because we loved it. And then we became everything to raise everything to our level, to glorify everything in this world. I know in the 22nd Psalm, when we are told that he wrought it at the very end of the Psalm, yet it begins with a cry of despair, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That I am crying unto myself, for I came down and completely forgot who I am and assumed my creation to raise it to the level of what I am. But in the very end, I cry out, I have wrought it, and the whole thing is done. I will tell posterity will serve me. 
men will tell of the Lord to the coming generations, to those that are yet unborn. It doesn't mean another generation. It means to the gods who came down, who are not yet born from above, to discover that they did come down and assume human nature and then raised it and then they wrought it. They accomplished exactly what they set out to do. The drama begins not with the birth. The drama begins with the crucifixion. That's how the entire drama begins, told in the Gospels. It begins with the birth and ends with the crucifixion. But that is not the story. It begins with the crucifixion, which is the union of God with man. And it ends with the resurrection, where he raises man to the level of himself. Everyone will be raised to that level because we, the gods, came down. And so in the divine society, I say, ye are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you will die like men, just as everything dies in this world and fall as one man, O princes. Then, having become man, we will actually assume the entire nature of man, the horror that is man, and then raise him to the level of love. In the end, there's nothing but love. So I take upon myself the nature of man with all that is man. Well then, you look around and see what man has done, is doing, and is capable of doing. That's what we took upon ourselves, that nature. Not some little particular man called Jesus Christ did it, but the nature of man we, the gods, took on. And then we raise him to the level of ourselves, which is God, who is infinite love. Now, in the 42nd Psalm, many years ago, so I can tell you other than to say that the beginning is the crucifixion, and it did not begin in the year 1 A.D., I cannot pinpoint it, not now, but it was the beginning when this union took place between us, the gods, for the word Elohim, the very first word that we find in the Bible, in the beginning God, that word is Elohim. It's a compound unity. It's a plural word. We are the gods that make up God. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in that beginning, the gods did it. On this night, many years ago, in the 42nd Psalm, I relived it. When you relive scripture, it is not a memory. Memory becomes actuality. It's something that you reenact. It's not something that you remember. You simply all of a sudden play it. But as it's told in the 42nd Psalm, it's told as a memory. These things I remember, how I went with the throng to the house of God, verse 4. But when I went with the throng, I wasn't remembering it. I was reenacting it. Well, if you take the 42nd Psalm, it would be a thousand years B.C. if you took it chronologically. And that night I became man. For then I heard the voice from the depths of my own soul, that I am God in the act of waking and that I reenacted the union with man. And I was the crucifix. I was the one who actually whirled in space and time.
my hands, vortices, my feet, vortices, my side, a vortex, my head, a vortex, and I was life itself, who was sucked into man. I was not man waiting for it. I was that which came into man and took upon myself the cross that is man and bore it so that I will then lift man up to my level. Then in this picture, who would have thought that in the unfolding of the drama and everything that is ever made is love. No matter what it is, it is love. The most horrible thing in the world was made in love. And so here, when this night that I broke the shell, and then 139 days later, when it was revealed to me by the only one who could ever reveal it, that I am the Father, I didn't become the Father at that moment. I was always the Father, but came down and took upon myself the cross that is man to raise it to that level. And here, in the 22nd Psalm, deliver me, deliver my soul. He asks why. Deliver my soul from the power of the dog. He asks to deliver my darling. And the word is translated, my darling. In the King James Version, and my life in the revised standard version. But if you take the word, it appears 12 times in scripture. The first time it appears, it's in Genesis, and you read it in the 22nd chapter of Genesis. In the 2nd and 16th verses, and here is the translation, your only son. That's what the word means in Hebrew, instead of saying my darling, which completely hides it, or my life, which completely hides it, deliver my only son from the power of the dog. Now that night, when I exploded and kept my promise that I would not leave my son in hell, as you're told in the 16th Psalm, thou wouldst not leave my soul in hell. Verse 10. And the word translated hell means uncovered, to disclose, to reveal, to take off the cover. You would not leave me uncovered, but you will reveal to me. Then I, in turn, will reveal you, for the Father will be known save the son reveals him so the father does it all and it takes the son if he is uncovered he will reveal the father to himself for no one knows who the son is except the father and no one knows who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him matthew 11:27 but the son cannot reveal the father unless he is uncovered so this moment was a complete explosion of the uncovering of my son who in turn revealed to me who actually died as i became man i became man and then in a moment of time i uncovered my son who would reveal me as god the father so i didn't become god the father I was always God the Father and purposely clothed my son within myself and then played the part perfectly of man and then unveiled my son that he would reveal me as God the Father 
So he makes the statement, deliver my darling. In other words, deliver your only son from the power of the dog. Now this night in question, when it first happened, I could hardly believe that this could be so altogether spiritual. But I know I made everything for its purpose and everything was made in love. These two men stood by my side, handsome men, about 40 years of age, and my son, David, a lad of about 12 or 13. They looked at him with such concupiscence. There was a lust beyond measure because he was so beautiful and they wanted him more than they wanted anything in the world. I reminded them of his victories over Goliath. And here before me was the head of Goliath, the same imagery of scripture. I told them what he had done to the giant Goliath. David kept on looking at me and he was actually leaning on his left side against the open door looking out on a pastoral scene. If he looked leaning to the left side, then I was to his right. Colossians 3.1, he said, Thou art to my right, so I should always be saved, for the Lord sitteth on my right. And I was seated, and he was standing, leaning against the open door, looking out on a pastoral scene, and I was to his right. So the imagery is perfect. We are the Lord that came and assumed human form and play all these parts. Then in time, we lift the part that we are playing up to ourselves, individualized. But before we actually descended into this world, we were gods. We were the Elohim. It took all of us to form the Lord. And then we deliberately planned the play to come down into our own creation and redeem it and redeem man. So we are not man being redeemed. We are the Lord redeeming man. And you dwell upon it. It may seem arrogant. And when I tell it to a large crowd not conditioned to hear it, they say, what madness, what sheer madness he's talking about. Yet I mean what I am telling you. I know what I am talking about. We are the gods of the 82nd Psalm, of which Thomas Cheney said, the meaning has long disappeared. It might have had some perennial meaning to those who heard it and who wrote it, but it has long, long ceased to have meaning for the world. And here was a man who was the editor of the most scholarly of the higher criticisms of the Bible, Thomas Cheney for he was the editor of the Encyclopedia Biblica. He said, Of all the Psalms, this is the one that is the most confusing. How could it be that God has taken his place in the divine assembly and in the midst of the gods he holds judgment? Psalms 82, 1 through 6. And then comes the agreement of the gods. We agreed to descend and dream in concert. Then the one made up of the many proclaims, I say you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall as one man, O princes. So we are the princes, the gods, who make up the God who came down into mortal form, 
to raise these forms to the level of ourselves, and man has completely reversed it. Today you read prophetic book and it's all about mechanisms, more and better mechanics. So instead of plowing the field with a hoe, we now do it with a tractor. Instead of moving across with a little wheel barrow, we take a missile now and, and we go to the moon, around the moon, going all over the place with greater and greater and more wonderful mechanisms. But no one is telling of a lordlier humanity, of that which came down into man could not return until he was born from above and then tell of this being that he's going to raise with him out of the skull of this mortal man but no one writes about it no one tells of this spiritual birth from the skull of mortal man they only tell of greater and greater mechanisms and yet the story is the eternal story that God became us in the most literal sense but this man I am the God that became this. And now, the union is so complete that I feel that I am this. And I will lift it with me right up into the level, completely individualized. We are the gods coming down. What we will do tomorrow, who knows? Will we again come down into another element called the animal world? For we are animal too. Will we again come down into the plant world? Will we again come down into the mineral world and redeem everything that we have created? For we are the gods who actually came down into man and took upon ourselves the cross that is man and now raises man to the level of God. But we can't leave the unredeemed. So when Tennyson said in his poem called The Play, Be Patient, our playwright will show in some fifth act what this wild drama means. So I will not be satisfied just to take one section of creation and redeem it, but the whole of creation. And so this has been quite the challenge, but I have wrought it. And so you're told in the end of this wonderful story, it will be told, posterity will serve him, and men will tell of the Lord to coming generations and proclaim that he has wrought it. Psalms 22.30 Proclaim it to the yet unborn, meaning not the little children coming in, but to those who are not yet awake within this world. But the same God, not yet awake within the skull where he emerges from it. So I tell you, you are infinitely greater than you think you are. You and I were together in eternity. Now, eternity is not the domain of the timeless, as some would indicate. Like in today's paper, they said it was a timeless, timeless state. No, it is the domain, not of the timeless, but of the everlastingly, the enduring, that which is forever and forever. That is eternity. What cannot forever endure ceases to be. We cease to imagine it, and it vanishes, but you and I are eternal beings who came down into time. And as Blake said, these things of time build mansions in eternity. The ruins of time, he called them. So everything dies here, but everything dies, and yet they all build mansions in eternity, 
So not one thing has ever happened that was out of kilter. Not a thing. It was all in order. This morning's paper, you must have read it, where the Pope said, A man should not go against his conscience, but his conscience must be educated to conform to the doctrines of this church. Of all the nonsense of the world mustn't go against his conscience, but it must be educated to conform to the doctrines of the church. And he sets himself up as the doctrine, the one who is the criteria of all that is right and wrong. Let us get back to the scripture and stop all this nonsense about the outside world. Hasn't a thing to do with these little things that are passing away. Go back to scripture. Now, you would have thought for one moment in reading that passage, if you just took it as I have quoted it, deliver my darling from the power of the dog, who would have thought that it meant anything. It doesn't mean a thing. And yet, when you, it happens to you, you know exactly what it's all about. And you wonder, what is it all about? I made, and you and I together made, the bull. We made the mule. We made the harlot. We made the homosexual. We made the lesbian. We made everything in this world. You know why? Because we loved it. We would have made nothing that we did not love. And so why this? In the very end of the drama, should I stand to my right, these two men, and look with such lust upon my only begotten son in the fulfillment of the 22nd Psalm? Deliver your only son for of the dog, The word dog means a male temple harlot. That's what it means. So deliver. And they were looking with such concupiscence. And I simply loved them, but warned them over his victory of the giant. Here was the giant's head before me, completely severed from the body. And here he leaned against the open door, looking out on a pastoral scene. So everything is in order. They had to be there at that moment when I broke the tomb And did not leave my only son in the grave. Thou wilt not leave thy only son in the grave. As we are told in the 16th Psalm, he makes the statement, You will not leave me in the grave. Verse 10. The word translated means, In this world of death. Well, this is the world. I will not leave it in this world. I'll take him with me, for he's played the part perfectly. For I have found in David the son of myself called Jesse which is I am. A man after my own heart who will do all my will, Acts 13.22. Well, he did all my will. He played every part that I played because I wore the part of man. And the sum total of all the parts that I played is David. And so he is so beautiful because he is made up of everything I've done. It took everything to form David. If one little part was left out, I couldn't have David And so I've played every conceivable part in the world. For it takes everything to produce David. Thou wouldst not leave thy loved one, thy holy one, in the grave, in this world of death. No, I will not. So in that moment when I broke the grave and he stood before me, resurrected, redeemed, and I take him now into my heavenly state with me, that glorious being. So we take everyone, we take ourselves, but we take with us our only begotten Son, into this heavenly state, where without speech we share in eternal wisdom, and no one writes of that. They write only of the more and more wonderful mechanisms of the world, 
so condemn no one in this world no matter what he's ever done. You have played that part, or you are going to play it, or you are playing it, and every part in the world God created. By God I mean we created, for we are the gods who came down. We are actually God who came down and assumed human nature. Not any particular little thing, but human nature. This union was real, and that was crucifixion. So the night when I led them in procession to the house of God, I can feel it even now. I can't tell you the ecstasy of the vortices. There were six. Like the Mogan David, the great cross, or the great star of David. Not five, but six. The side was one plus the hands, the feet, and the head. And this complete suction into man. But I was the being coming in. So I came in unto man and took upon myself the cross of man. For I was the cross. So you'll find in the story, especially in the works of Paul, everything was the cross. I have preached nothing but the cross. I have preached Christ and him crucified. Well, you are Christ. He is now in you because he has already been unified with the body that you wear. But if you have the memory, and you will when God remembers, he doesn't remember as man on this level remembers. It's all actuality. It's a reenactment of the drama. So this night in question, it was a complete reenactment of the drama when the voice said within me, in the act of waking, at that moment, in the act of waking, I felt the reenactment of the first act, which was the crucifixion. So far from the crucifixion coming at the end of the drama, the crucifixion comes at the beginning, and the resurrection comes at the end. Now you dwell upon it. You may think tonight, not practical, but I tell you, it's far more practical than anything I could tell you. Oh, I could tell you how to become better if you want to be better. How to become richer if you want to be richer. How to become this. That's simple. But this, if you dwell upon it, you transcend all these things that all die. All these things disappear. You'll read in tomorrow morning's paper someone, and we invariably say if a man dies who was a normal person who leaves no estate, they don't mention him in the paper unless you pay for the little announcement or some mortuary pays for it. But if you die and you leave money, oh, it's always mentioned. If you leave a home and it's normal house, no one. But if you leave a house that is a quarter of a million, they'll tell you of the house and the value of the house. Everything seems to have a tag on it in this world. You read the morning's paper and you will see everything that has any so-called ballooned figure is always mentioned. Now, if you really want to be mentioned in some obituary, make a billion. You'll always be mentioned as one who had billions who died, but you still die. You die as men, whether you have a billion or you have nothing. But if you really want an obituary, then leave a fortune or do something violent. But if you really want to awaken, listen to what I have told you this night. I am not flattering you. You and I are the gods who came down, literally came down. We are not less than we were before. We are greater 
for having come down, and we have redeemed this section of creation, which is man. For man forms an eternal part of the structure of creation, and now we came down, became man, and redeemed man. But we can't leave the other parts unredeemed. So we will redeem everything in our world, so that in the end, there is nothing but God. But one thing at a time. So now we have proven you can come into the world of death and overcome death. Everything in the world, I don't care what it is, we created and we will redeem. So God, something other than yourself didn't become you. You are God that became your own creation that is man. And then you raise man to the level of yourself who is God. You dwell upon it. I'm not making this up. I'm telling you what I know. And everything in the world, whether you be the thief or the one who is robbed, whether you be the bull of the world or the harlot of the world, whatever you are, we made it and loved it when we made it. And we have played all the parts in the end. The quintessence of all the parts is that eternal beloved being called David. He is the essence of everything that we have ever played. We take him with us for he is our only begotten son. And we take back the son because the son revealed us to ourselves. Without the son, we would never know we were the father. So we were the father before we came down. We are the father as we return. And we are conscious of being the Father only because our son David that we brought forth as a result of what we did reveals us to ourselves. So David died and was buried, but we would not leave him in the pit. Thou wouldst not leave me, said he, in hell, in the world of death, in the grave. So we don't. And may I tell you, when it happens, it's a terrific explosion, as though you actually exploded the whole skull and then he stands before you because he was buried there. And then, as you look at him and the relationship, he is the quintessence of all you've ever done. And then in time, you take him back into the heavenly sphere, which means eternal, the everlasting, enduring state. Certainly not a timelessness, as the world would think. An absence of time would be stupid. It's a living, living world. At the end of these lectures, Neville would give two minutes of silence, followed by questions and answers, as we will do now. Let us go into the silence.
Now, are there any questions, please? First question is inaudible. Neville says, I could not answer that from experience, but I would presume that it would be. But I could not answer it from experience, and I try to confine myself to what I know from experience. What I've had in vision, what I've had in my supernatural experiences. But I tell you that I know what I've told you tonight. That you are not a little man, that God became one with you in order to save you. You are the God who came down to redeem your own creation that is man. The fusion is so complete, you had to actually forget you were God to play the part of man. Whatever part you are playing, that's the part, but I have played all the parts. You name one, I've played it, or I could not have encountered David. I can only now, because of this, I can't leave a part of my created world unredeemed, for in the end, there must be only God and all things must be put under his foot. We are that God. We are the compound unity called the Elohim that make up the Lord. We all, when these masks are off, know each other more intimately than we could ever know each other here behind the mask. No one here could ever know you more intimately, no matter what you are to them, father, mother, uncle, brother, any one of these. Then you and I will know each other when the masks are off. For in that sphere, all things intermingle and we are one. Question inaudible. Answer. Ina, my dear, there would be no consciousness. There would be no life were it not that God came down, for God is life. In him is life. He animates the world. That is, we animate the world. I know that from experience. Life is an activity of my imagination that I have experienced and when I arrest that activity, things stand still. So I do know that I am that life. God is life. So that everything that seems alive and independent of my perception of it, it is only because that I am alive and I am aware of it. I give it life. But I've got to redeem it. I came down into man and I am now identifying myself with man and this union is real. It's not something on the outside. I'm not pretending I am man. I actually became man and played all the parts that man is heir to, having run the race and having fought the good fight and having kept the faith and having done the whole well, then I found the end. And the end is the one who revealed me to myself that I purposely forgot. I had to forget that I am God to become man. So I became man. You became man. Rather than think some being on the outside as taught by the world. The churches teach us that we are little worms and we did some horrible thing in the beginning. And because of this, God in his infinite mercy is going to make a great sacrifice of his one and only son. One little man died and therefore you are going to be saved. Hasn't a thing to do with it. God and your God became man to redeem your own creation. God didn't become you. You, God, became Ina, and that being that became Ina is I am, and that is God. A complete reversal. Scripture teaches a reversal, but man doesn't quite see it. It was not Esau, but Jacob. It was not Ishmael, but Isaac. It wasn't John the Baptist, but Jesus. You find this complete reversal, and the first shall be last. So they are teaching all of this on the outside, and the priesthoods of this world teach it that way. I saw in this morning's paper they have just discovered that Peter's chair was not a chair that Peter ever sat in. 
They turned it over to the scientists to discover whether it really is as old as they thought it was. For centuries, people went and saw this little chair all broken down, and they worshipped it. It's all behind glass, and it's a little shrine, the holy chair in which Peter sat. Now they discovered it's not so old at all. Peter would have had to live another thousand years to have sat in it. Yet for all those years, people worshipped this stupid little thing as the chair in which Peter sat. Now priests can't get married. Yet in the fourth chapter of Luke, Peter's mother-in-law, if he had a mother-in-law, he had a wife and was healed by Jesus. If he's the first pope and he was married, what's wrong with the pope now about not being married? Just analyze it. Peter's mother-in-law was healed is in the fourth chapter of Luke. So if he was the foundation of it all and called the first pope, which he was not, all of this is a man-made affair for this whole drama takes place in man. When they all sat before me and listened to my unfolding of the word of God, who was Peter? This drama is a perfect drama. But the way that established churches of the world have organized it, that's not religion. The head of the Jesuit society said that if the church tells you that black is white, you must accept it. No question to it. Well, that is part of the foundation of the church and you don't question the traditions of the church. You're told in scripture, you've made void the word of God by your traditions, which you hand on, Matthew 15, 6. You take all your traditions and you hand them on. And by so doing, you make void the word God. Now, some may think you're anti this. I'm not anti anything. I just know my visions are true and they do not conform to these traditions of the church. You are the gods who came down. Now today you'll say, how could I be God and I'm in need? I don't care if you're in need or not. You're playing that part. You need not continue in that part because you are God and all things are possible to God. You can assume now that you are affluent. If you dare to believe that you really are God and all things are possible to God, then affluence will be yours if you dare to persist in that assumption. But if you believe you're some little worm as the churches teach you and you must pray to an external God and ask him to help you and they tell you that if he doesn't help you, it's because you're very wicked. And they're always passing the buck. We are the gods. Though our scholars say, that they can't understand that wonderful 82nd Psalm. We are the God spoken of in that Psalm, but it's stated quite clearly. Although you are gods, all sons of the Most High, all of you, nevertheless, you will die like men. We came down into a world that was dead and we had to take upon ourselves the death of the world. And then prove that we are God by making it alive and redeeming it and then returning to our state, but enhanced by reason of the fact that we overcame this wonderful venture and we were victorious in a battle with death. For we all die. Who doesn't die? What doesn't die in this world? Show me a monument that does not die. Everything gradually decays. Therefore, it ceases to be. And yet there is something in this world, and we are that something that cannot die. 
where we go through the experiences of death, and then in the end, we are all self-redeemed. And we redeem that one section of our creation that is man. Good night. And that concludes We Are the Gods Who Came Down by Neville Goddard. We've read a lot of different lectures so far, and Neville has discussed these very points many times, but never with such clarity and intensity, going straight to the point. Now, this is an important lecture in the Neville Pantheon, because this is the first I remember, and it's certainly possible that he has mentioned it in other lectures. I have not gone chronologically. But this is the first he mentions of the David experience, which he has talked about repeatedly, at least 50 times. He has never mentioned that the head of the giant was right there. I do believe he has mentioned that there were two guys like gawking at David, but he doesn't always include that detail. He does mention David. But now we get this idea that right there is the head of the giant. That David has just killed the giant. As we know in the biblical story, he slingshots into the head of the giant. We are all David. We have overcome this giant. There's symbolism in it all, but there was something very specific about this vision that Nolan had about David that is not talked about in other spiritual works. I do find it fascinating that all these artists have done statues of a biblical David that's sort of a kid. When in the Bible, isn't he like the king? He's not the kid, I think, at the beginning of the story. But there's all these artistic renditions of David as a kid, this beautiful figure. And it seems to be resonant with what Neville is talking about. Like they had some sort of vision of the David And it's very specific. David is a representation of man. All of our experiences all happening as one. And he's speaking directly to us in this lecture, reminding us of who we really are, that we're not just measly worms that came out of the dirt and are lucky in this first incarnation to have a life and then God comes into us. And we're new and brand new to this world. We are the gods that came down And repeatedly in this lecture, he says that we have to play all the parts. And every time he says that, I'm reminded of the short story, The Egg, in which God is supposed to play all the parts. Does he mean that literally in just Neville's life or in all the lives? So Neville had gone through and played all the parts. And that's why he was at that end experience. So maybe there's clarification. Maybe that's not important. But we are the gods that came down. We're not becoming God for the first time. We are the gods that came down. And he defines the gods as a plural, as the Elohim. And when he's talking about our experience at the end, that we all know each other, when the mask comes off, we know everything about each other, that to me is what... The social memory complex is all about. 
You know everything about everybody instantaneously. He's describing the social memory complex. He's describing that we come from one and go back to one. Because once the mask is off and we share our consciousness, we are all one. We know everything about each other. So we forgive everyone already. We have compassion for what you've gone through. We may not know it all, but we will someday and we send love to everyone, no matter how terrible or wonderful. I'm sure there's a story behind everybody's story once you pull the mask off. We are going through this drama to bring something out and we come out improved. He repeatedly says that in his lectures, that we were the gods that came down, but we come out even greater gods, if that is such a thing that is possible. We've come out improved. We've raised the area that we're in. We've redeemed it. So let me know your favorite parts of this lecture. Definitely felt like 1969 was flowing through this lecture, if you know what I mean. You can find all episodes of The Reality Revolution at therealityrevolution.com. Check out the Neville Goddard playlist. We have so many wonderful lectures that you can check out. I would love it if you perused my art. You can get prints, t-shirts, hoodies at www.newearth.art. And welcome to the reality revolution.